folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. And Courtney, I just want you to begin wherever you want to begin with the Minnesota Vikings loss to the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, There are debates over how much is Kirk's fault. There are in-depth looks into the refereeing. There are fun to talk about. There is coaching to discuss. There are playoff scenarios to talk about how they don't really exist at this moment anymore. Uh, Where would you like to begin with this? I actually thought about this before we started, and I wanted to, like, I thought about my pie chart from the other day that you gave me four options of, First one was blowout win, second one was close win, the third one was close loss, and fourth one was like blowout, no-show loss like Atlanta. And I remember I took both of the the first two, like there were one and four basically, the blowout style anything completely out of it because I just felt like this Dallas team, given they had coming off a bye, they played particularly well considering what a dumpster fire they had been all season long in that last game that we saw them playing against Pittsburgh. So I knew this wasn't going to be a cakewalk and that's why I think I picked them to win close um, in a close game. Uh, I didn't have them as like the close loss, which honestly, you know, in hindsight and all of it, it could have gone either way. Um, But I just think the way that I look at this whole thing is that, did you not see this coming? Like the letdown thing. And I know that like the cheap shot way to like look at and evaluate this team is, oh, they can't play with expectations. That's not really it. I don't think it's expectations. I think it's you take a couple steps forward and then a couple steps back. And they really are not that much better of a team than they were however many weeks ago. I mean, they they started out one and five. They clawed their way back against a flawed Green Bay team, against a disaster of a Detroit team that should be, like, pro, you know, promotion and relegation in, in soccer. Yes, Rele- relegate yes, yes. their ass relegate out of them. the NFL, please. Push them all of them. Lake Michigan, or at least just Matt Patricia. 
Yes, the whole staff and the, and and everybody. Yeah, all of them gone. And the Bears are terrible. So it's like, I just, I think you could see this coming and know that like the margin of difference in between like good teams and bad teams that are kind of like these mediocre on the cusp. Are they really that good? Are they really not? And the NFC is like very minimal. Um, you know, Dallas obviously is going to be in a good spot if they win Thanksgiving day, certainly because the NFC East is such a dumpster fire. Um, but you know, I think with the Minnesota Vikings right now, it's, this was so, this is so easy to predict because you couldn't go, you could not go into their final seven games of the year and say five wins um, automatically Dallas, Carolina, Jacksonville bears and Detroit again. And then you could say, okay, they'd be like nine and seven at worst. Um, I just don't think that was ever going to be possible with this team. And like you and I talk about, talked about last week on, on the preview pod, everything comes full circle with them that there's no margin for error. There was no margin for error today, and it only gets like less and less. They have no leeway from here on out. Um, it's not going to be a situation of back your way into the playoffs like the final week of the season. I honestly think it's going to come down before that. And this was a game that you had to win. Like everything now is, you know, even before the Dallas game was a must-win situation just because how they, how poorly they started. They didn't give themselves much cushion to be able to sprinkle in some losses here and there. Um, and that's just kind of how I, I look at it with the Dallas game. And obviously there's a lot of different ways that you can go with it. Certainly special teams is still a mess. It wasn't nearly as glaring throughout the game. I mean, certainly in the first half. Um in the bad field position that they gave Denver or excuse me, Dallas there at the end of the game. But, you know, the defense regressed, but that's what you expect. I mm-hmm. think when you have like nobody, nobody smart was saying that defense is completely fixed. It was, you found a fix to the issues. It's not that it's completely, everything's great. Everything's turned around. It's you found a solution. That's not a solution that's going to last you every single game from here on out. Other teams are going to figure that out. And today it was, you know, the way that they played against the run, I don't know what happened. I mean, you know, I'm not even talking about the Tony Pollard, um, you know, Chris Jones business decision type play. I'm talking about Ezekiel Elliott and some of those big runs that they broke off. I mean, he, they played him okay early on, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yep. when you take a look at, like, what happened with him specifically, so – the overall, they gained a season – Cowboys, that is – season high, 143 rushing yards before contact. That's the most the Vikings allowed all season. And then, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, 74 yards of his 103 yards before initial contact. Like, what's going on there? He wasn't even the one that broke the big run. No, that was <laughs> Tony Pollard. And it's just yeah. like, you know, there's a million ways you can go with it. If I have to, like, boil it down into, like – a quick elevator speech. The offense didn't lose them that game. Yes, Kirk had 137 and one timeout. Yeah, he played just like you expect him to in a situation like that on the line. But had your defense not given up that fourth down and left Dalton Schultz uncovered in the end zone, that was the easiest touchdown that Andy Dalton had all day. You're not in that situation. Like, I don't know how many more times we can say it. You can't trust this defense to go out and and contain a lead at the end of the game. It's just not going to work with this group. They were very much now, I I look at Dallas and the Vikings as two teams looking in the mirror at 
each other because they both have a lot of talent and mm-hmm. they both have a lot of holes and they both have a lot of problems. And maybe Dallas is one um, Ben DiNucci start away from having the exact same record as the Vikings. If Andy Dalton starts that game against Philly, they win and beat Philadelphia. And then we're talking about how these two teams are exactly alike. Like they've got um, uh, Lawrence over there and Alden Smith over there. And, and Elliot, you mentioned, uh, did not look like he had the same burst as he once did, but is still a good player. And so you have a lot of uh, good receivers, CD Lamb with an unbelievable touchdown catch. And it's the same as saying, well, the Vikings have Adam Thielen and they have Jefferson and Eric Hendricks. And then you start going through the holes and there are so many. And I also think with a team like this, with the position that they were put in, it's sort of like playing poker each week. And I'm not a poker mm-hmm. expert. So if someone is, and I messed this up, then feel free to correct me on whatever Twitter or email or something. Uh, but I look at it as when you get put in a position to have to push all the chips to the middle of the table every single week, that eventually a couple of cards get flipped up that just aren't good for you. And you might be able to bluff your way through it, but you probably can't over and over and over and over again. And eventually the cards came up the wrong way. And I thought that that was a lot of the case in Dallas. Like you earned the loss by repeatedly not being able to stop them. And the one fourth down that they got to stop was handed to them by a dropped pass. Um, Or maybe, I don't know, Andy Dalton threw it too hard, but the guy was open and it should have been a first down anyway. And also confusing that they just didn't run two times in a row there with with all the success they were having running. And I guess the, the way I want to talk about this though, with you is the things that we were saying a week ago, and do we want to change them? I don't think that any of us threw a playoff party after last week and started saying like, yay, they're in the postseason. Um, but maybe in terms of the progress of some things on this team, we could pump some brakes a little bit. And I definitely think that that is the case when it comes to defensive line and maybe even with, with some of the coverage that, you know, Mike Zimmer can cover up a lot, but Andy Dalton, he gets rid of the ball quick, unlike Nick Foles. And so when you send all these blitzes, that's great. But when you have a quarterback who can get rid of the ball quick and diagnose them because he's actually a decent NFL quarterback, then it kind of mitigates that one, uh, Trump card that you have, I guess, that you've been using over the last couple of weeks. So I I wonder if there is anything on your mind that we were talking about over the last couple of weeks as they were winning, that after seeing this Dallas game, you would go, "Eh, let me walk that back a little bit. I mean, you bring up the defensive line. I'll start there. So Zimmer today, let me try to find the quote really quickly because he was talking about like the pressure and and all of that and like you know did you know cleaning up the it was a question about like cleaning up the penalties in the second half and how he thought that they were going to win the game because they had two penalties in the second half I think both of them were on the defensive line um, but it was better than in the first half when they had six for sixty yards um, and like Zimmer was talking about how he felt like they had pressured him pretty decently. Like, you know, at some point said, uh, where is it right here? And unfortunately, Dalton made some good plays. He scrambled on the third down a couple of times where we had good spots, good pressure on him early in the game. Um, do you know the pressure stats for Andy Dalton? He got pressured on four of his 34 dropbacks. <laughs> he was That's, over two passing, yeah. sacked once, okay. and scrambled once for That's seven what I yards on that play. That's what yeah. I would like I didn't see any pressure. I mean, I no, think it's fair that Mike either. wants to say that, but like, 
I didn't see any pressure on Andy Dalton that whole game. I didn't. I didn't either. And that's just like, have you reached your ceiling? Is that kind of what we what we're dealing with here? That these players um, on the defensive line. Have have we reached? Have, have we ta- have have we breached where we can go with this conversation? Have the Vikings tapped all of the potential that they possibly could have out of these guys? That it's just not going to get any better than what it looks like right now. Because you have Teddy Bridgewater next week. You have Gardner Minshew. It's not like you have the cream of the crop of these guys who have escapability or get the ball out quick. Um, but is it going to look much different than it has the last few weeks? And is it going to result in being able to flip this thing around and then, you know, you get to to one game over 500 potentially? I mean, like you'd be sick – or, you know, you'd get back to 600 with two wins in these next few weeks. Like I just feel you're chasing – you're just constantly chasing your shadow here. And, and that's the problem. Like the coverage units itself – I mean, think about some of those early touchdowns, the one with CeeDee Lamb – um, in the, on the far side of the feet, on the, their side, their sideline. Um, like once again, what was the issue? Corners were caught with their eyes in the wrong place. Like they're trailing this guy. And I, I just don't know. Like, can, can you fix that? Cause it just feels that that reverted. And it's like, maybe it's just time. Maybe it's something that takes a whole season to grasp. Maybe they're not very good. And these are not the guys that you want playing back there. But like, I just don't know how you fix that now. I mean, just like, you know, I, I do feel for Mike Zimmer in the sense where it's got to be really frustrating where you're constantly going back to the drawing board to figure like, okay, well, what now? What do I have to change this week? It's not like there's anything really that feels like it can carry over from week to week with this defense. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that defenses that have huge holes are exactly this way. And even look at Dallas. Like, Dallas has a bunch of holes on defense. They have some good defensive linemen. They actually, for a good portion of the game, stopped Delvin Cook. And then Mm -hmm. he broke through, you know, a number of times as the game went along. But it didn't feel like he was just steamrolling them for the entire 60 minutes, as it did, say, with, like, Detroit or some other games so far this year. And they did get after Kirk cousins at times they pressured him especially early in the game sometimes he made yeah. good plays another time he fumbled you know so it, it was an impact for them um but it feels the same way where it's like they can be good at times because there's talent there but there's not enough talent there to be good consistently and i think you make a great point that eventually you just have to say that the ups and downs, some weeks you're there, some weeks you're not. That's who you are as a lot of the players, not just as in a unit completely because Eric Hendricks is the same guy every week. And my God, is he good? Uh, And he was just absolutely terrific again. Uh, And, you know, Eric Wilson is kind of starting to be that same guy every week. Um, Harrison Smith, although there was a problem in the coverage. I don't know who that's on though. I don't like to declare for sure. It was definitely, Definitely a guy in coverage's fault because it's harder to say with that than some other things that go wrong. But you know what he's going to bring. You know what Anthony mm-hmm. Harris is going to bring. But the rest of them, on a week-to-week basis, Jalen Holmes might play well, and then he might not. And then, you know, Jaleel Johnson might do okay, and then he might not. And that's – I, I, I think after you get several years into these guys' careers and we've seen them as a bigger sample of you've gotten to play 50 or 40 snaps a game, this is who you are, this is who you're going to be, and then you start circling those guys on the roster and say, okay, how many guys are like that That's that says more backup than starter? 
And the answer is kind of a lot. The answer is um, now that we have this sample of, oh, you were good last week. Oh, but you're not so good this week. Um, aside from Jeff Gladney, who I don't want to judge at all in year one, just because of the position. I mean, most of these guys who have been developed for a few years, like this is who they are. And that's why in the future, you have to find better players to be playing these positions for a lot of them. Well, I mean, that's like the thing. Like, you know, I make the joke about replacement players. Like, I'm not really joking. Um, this is not, this is, this is a mishmash group of defensive linemen. And I know Andre Patterson in, in the whole, the thing that Hercules Mata talked with us about last week and Patterson reiterated it, like, look around the room. How many of you are first round picks? Nobody raise your hand. Second round picks. Nobody raise your hand. Third, blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on and on. Yes, that is something certainly to be proud of, but it's not yielding the results. There's a big difference in talent. There's a talent gap to where this group used to be and where it is now. Um, you've never felt the loss of Michael Pierce probably more than on a game like today. Yeah, I agree. You've, you've felt Daniil Hunter all season long. And I think that this is kind of just something, too, where we can like talk about those losses and the injuries till we're blue in the face. There's there's no point in rehashing it now, but it's like okay, then what does that make your draft priorities next year? Because Johnson's gone; he's in the fourth year of his rookie deal. They're not bringing him back. There's no point. Um, I think you. I mean, Shamar Stephens not your nose tackle next year. Michael Pierce is. Um, what are you going to do at three technique? The whole rotation thing you have going now, while it worked against Chicago. Um, because Chicago doesn't have like a great offensive line. Also, Nick Foles is just easy. He's an easy target. Statue back there. Like, you just need – I think, honestly, we can start being able to piece together their draft priorities over these next few games, depending upon how they go, um, because it's so blatantly obvious the defensive line needs a lot of attention next year in, in terms of high draft capital or maybe even free agency. Granted, their situation isn't great next year, um, but I do think that they're in a situation that – I just don't know with the defensive line if it's going to get much better than where it is right now. I don't think that it is either. And then other things depend. I mean, how does Michael Pierce come back? Is he a dominant player still? And is Daniel Hunter here? Because that conversation is already uh, percolated a bit about whether he would be traded and so forth and and re-signed. I expect him to be here, but I don't know that for sure. Um, And then you start asking, well, how many holes do you have to fill with how much cap space? And the answers get pretty darn difficult. And maybe that's, Maybe that's one thing. I'm not going to walk this back, but I would say I might break pump a little on from what we saw today, which is just that you can have Zimmer just scheme your way to being decent or average or give you a chance. Now, they were in position to potentially win this game despite all of the issues on the defensive side, and probably that plays into him being able to scheme. But I mean, players are ultimately going to determine how good you are. And you are on defense only as good as your weakest link, or in this case, links. And when mm-hmm. the other team can have a backup quarterback in and a bad offensive line that's really beat up and they're just running over you, you have a lot of work to do. And like you said, it's not just, hey, get Michael Pierce back. It's who's playing the other spots too. Because I think we know that none of these positions are 100% resolved for going forward. And I appreciate 
that because I have a, a tendency to do this, that when um, I nail something to be like, I'm dunking this thing all year long. And you have just talked about this position in the Zimmer defense of the three technique and how important it was for like I'm three years. Only, right. And then it's like, it's been your hill to die on and um, you're not dead because they continue to not uh, pay attention to this position. And I just remember Andre Patterson talking about how, Armand Watts and Jaleel Johnson, how well they played in one of the games. This has become kind of the point about all these defensive linemen. In one of the games, they're all capable of being good in one of the games. But the next game, they might not be. And that's exactly what we got today against the Cowboys was, well, you were good against Chicago, but you weren't good here. And then you didn't get them in the favorable down and distance or anything else like that. So I would say that, um, the the saying there are limits to my power. Well, there are limits to Zimmer's power, and I think we we saw that um, in that case. So, what about the offensive side? Because uh, uh, do you have do you have a number on how often Kirk Cousins was pressured? It felt like it started out a lot. I, and it, it was better. a lot. In the, I, I know the first half number was seven of fifteen dropbacks, yeah, so forty seven percent. It was a lot, and and I honestly, it's kind of crazy right now that we're talking about, you know, Ezra Cleveland, like, man, they really missed Ezra Cleveland today, and and yeah, we're going to have to watch it back to see where that pressure came from, but I mean, he he was struggling there in, in the first half, and I think it's honestly, too, a product of, like, we were touting this offensive line the last few weeks, why? Because they're run blocking a ton. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, Kirk was not throwing the ball nearly as much as he did, obviously, in Chicago. Um, you know, and even today, 20 of 22 of 30 for 314 yards, three touchdowns. Like, he played really well. Um, there again, I think that that's something where it's kind of this inexact science of some weeks. And, and, for, and luckily for their case, like, they've been good for three weeks. Like they, it's not like, you know, an up-and-down yo-yo every single week. Like, the offensive line seemed to figure it out for, you know, for all intents and purposes the last three weeks. I just think that once they figured it out, what did Kirk say? Got the boots going. Play action. Like, I just – sometimes I wonder, well, why does it take so long? Like, what am I missing here? Because, you know, when you're going like, – <laughs> Like in the first half or whatever, when Justin Jefferson makes that Willie Mays catch and then you run the ball and you run the ball, then you run it again, you had a screen, like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Like, that's the type of stuff I don't understand. Like, is that, is the protection making you do that? Like, what, you know, I, I truly think, and this kind of makes me, I, trust me, I have a Dalvin Cook point. I'm like, kind of like chomping at the bit to get to here because. I think I'm the only one who honestly cares this guy's getting run into the ground. Actually, no, you care too, but I really care about this guy getting run into the ground because it doesn't make any sense. Um, But, you know, when I think of, like, this offense, they don't have a plan B. It's make sure you keep doing plan A until it busts through, and that's what happened in the second half. Why? Because Dallas's defense is really not that good, and eventually you're going to wear them down, which they did. But, you know – I just – they're going to run into somebody that doesn't allow that plan A to work whatsoever um, because it, you run the risk of, of getting Dalvin to a point where you can't keep running plan A, where it's just keep wearing the ball, ball down – wearing the run – wearing the team, other team down with your run game, things mm-hmm. like that. Like, And that's – you know, fortunately it worked, but they were so effective there in the third quarter. They run 20 plays because – 
you know, they run quite effectively because Dalvin pops a couple, right? And then they run the deep crosser with Thielen, 51-yard catch. And six plays later, it's the red zone touchdown. I mean, there's things that work. It's just like it was so, you know, I won't, I won't say it was too little too late because everybody's going to have a first half like that. But I guess it's kind of what you expect if that's if you have a formula and you are literally sticking to the formula and not deviating from it whatsoever. I want to remind you to go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. There are many great designs. Someone on Twitter recently sent their John Randall shirt, and there's the Can't Stop the Thielen hats, the Techmobile throwback shirt, and much more. All of their apparel is screen-printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. We're going to hook you up with free shipping on your next order. Use the code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That's S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Soda Stick, original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. Do you think that they um, are asking, almost in like completely ironic fashion, asking Kirk to do way too much when their whole goal is to have him not do anything or, or be protected by the circumstances that that's their goal is to have him only make the throws he needs to make and just uh, run the play actions and be in favorable down and distance. But by doing things like you described after the Jefferson 27 yard catch, they are actually saying, Kirk, uh, we're going to put you in tougher spots and you're going to be in third and longs like you were against Chicago all night long. And he was in third and longs in this game. And some yeah, were, especially in the first half. Right. And some, game, and some of the game was just penalties and, and things like that, which he came through. But they've been saying over at least these last two games, inadvertently, here's a bunch of tough situations to be in. And some of that's not Gary Kubiak and not play calling. It's just teammates. Like they allow him to get strip sacked. They, uh, you know, have Delvin Cook fumble and so forth. They had the drop from Justin Jefferson where they're saying, like, overcome this, overcome this, overcome this. And some of it is overcome us putting you in third down and six and seven and eight all the time. And I I think that actually under those circumstances over these last two weeks, he's been terrific for the most part. But asking him to do that all the time is not a really good situation. And I felt today, and I'll just just tee this right up for you. Uh, I felt today at one point, like I'm not seeing quite the same burst from Delvin Cook, who is a monster Mm -hmm. running back and has – I mean, what does this guy do in the off season? Let me like get a look at that because to be able to handle what he's handled these last couple of weeks is just outrageous. But this is not 2004 Sean Alexander. Like this is 2020 where every team has two or three running backs. Tony Pollard is out there, you know, breaking 50 yard runs. And here's the Vikings just hand off the same guy over and over and over like he's Adrian Peterson a guy with an injury history, a guy who wore down in the second half of last season. And I mean, at some point you've got to have an answer. You spent a third round pick on Alexander Madison for him to play like two plays. So, you know, I think that uh, all kind of put together that they have been putting cousins in situations where he's got to overcome how much they're obsessed with running Delvin cook. And then they're putting cook in a bad situation because they're just giving him the ball every play. Yeah, so he had 30, 35 touches today, 28 rushing you know, attempts, and then five catches. So 27 rushing, 
20, excuse me, my math is off, 27 rushing attempts, five targets, five catches. So that's 32. That's, that's nuts. Like he had 34 touches last week. Another, he tied a career high with 30 rushing attempts last week, which he also had against Green Bay. You're right. I saw the same Dalvin Cook that you saw um, where, you know, I thought about it. Like that first touchdown he had, like, you know, he usually lets the offensive line spike it like for him. Like, hell no. He was so frustrated with like how much they were beating the bleep out of him at the goal line. He took that sucker and he spiked it. And, you know, I could I could almost like see as I was watching him through my binoculars, just like the angst inside him, like, Man, they are literally beating me black and blue right now. They are physical on their defensive line. Very much, I mean, yeah. like, you know, their their red zone defense is like middle of the pack, but hell, they were strong at the goal line. They were the whole day. Um and, you know, I just I, I don't know. Like because it doesn't make any sense. I mean, yeah, Alexander Madison, if you if you look at the snap count for him, like, I mean, he was on the field several plays and it was just as a decoy um he had one reception or excuse me one rush for six yards what what's go what, what's going on here because I just don't keep telling us we want to spell Dalvin Cook we need to use Madison some more we need to do that because you're not doing it because you know you can't you know that that's not going to work because that's going to end up like Atlanta all over again like I just don't understand it because you know you can't have this three down back workhorse guy when he is literally the only one. If you had another one of those, sure. But I don't think that guy's Alexander Madison. I really don't. And Cook went over 100 yards again, 115 rushing yards, one touchdown. And in that play, that second and eight play, honestly, it's a little bit on Kirk. I think he put him in a bad spot there over the middle of the field where he got popped. And if there were fans inside U.S. Bank Stadium, that place would have been dead silent. Because I saw him down. I was like, oh, boy. I think I texted you in the middle of that. I was like, here we go. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and and he got off and he walked to the sideline. Um, He came back right away. Like, he's got to be feeling horrible right now. And, yes, of course he says it's just football. It's all this is what you expect. But, man, he took a beating today. Maybe I just maybe I'm skeptical because I just don't understand how much more of that you can do when you're him when when you're anybody really I mean clearly they are not worried about anything other than this season mm-hmm. that is that is what it tells me that they don't give a crap about the contract beyond this year saving him preserving him whatever like for longevity running back is a depreciation like that is it's the epitome of depreciation for a position. And he's going to depreciate significantly as the as he keeps getting these many touches. But it's like, at what point do they have to look themselves in the mirror and stop lying to themselves that they are wearing the hell out of him? Because it is too much. Yes, in the second half, they were effective with their runs because Dalvin broke a couple, and it allowed them to sell play action, allowed them to be effective. But how many times, how many more times can you keep doing it that specific way? I, I just don't get it. So I was looking at Todd Gurley and, you know, obviously uh, a famous fall off for Todd Gurley. He's been thrown under that category of the contract didn't work out. And he had three years of 300 plus touches in a row. And then after that, he just went off the edge of the wall. And the interesting part is he was only 
25 years old when that happened, when he had that complete fall off after getting that many touches. And we do see that. And Delvin Cook right now is about that age. And he's already had the injury history that goes along with it. And, mm-hmm. and when you're talking about, like, are, do you guys have any sort of big picture view? And the answer is absolutely not. I mean, Zimmer no. basically admitted that where he said, well, you know, a lot of it's game situation. And today they're saying, uh, well, we've got to win. So Dalvin Cook, get back out there. You're our best player. Get back, exactly. out, get back out there. Get back out there. And it's like, I get it. But you're almost like, uh, did you ever see, what is it, like Varsity Blues? You ever see mm-hmm. Varsity Blues, like where the coach wants to shoot everybody up? It's like a ridiculous movie. <laughs> the, coach, the coach just wants to like stick a needle in everybody. And the guy tears his ACL. He's like, just stick a needle in him, send him back out there. Like, I don't think ACL works that way, but that's okay. Uh, science was not included in Varsity Blues, but it feels the same way. We're just like, get back out there. Just, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I got to win this game. We got to get back in the playoffs. We got to save our butts here. We we got to compete and you're the best player. So you go play. And every team that has done this, now some of them are competing for Super Bowls, like Todd Gurley with the Los Angeles Rams. The Vikings are not competing for a Super Bowl and doing this. And then what you wonder is, okay, 2021 is supposed to be your year. Yes. And, and, and I can going to be healthy and fresh for it. Right. And I can get talked into that. I mean, I can get talked into 2021 being a good season for this team, especially with the outlook of the NFC North, uh, which I had a podcast on about how it just looks like the Vikings are are going to have a path to be very good in the North. But we know their offense is just surrounded around Delvin Cook. And if he loses a step, a half a step, if he's Ezekiel Elliott in what version we saw of him today, which I thought was not very explosive. This offense is going to be significantly hindered, as I, I think Dallas is, other than today, has been for a lot of their season. It should be something they should be very wary of to have him miss a game this year, hobble off the field several times so far. It's just like, I thought you drafted Madison, so this could be a Jarek McKinnon and yes. Murray thing, and it has not been. I don't get, like, what's the deal? Like, is Madison just, like, not coming along quickly enough? Because – Here's what I don't understand. Help me because I'm confused. Um, so Drew Samia was playing in that game in Seattle when Madison had the career high 20 carries, um, over 100 something yards. Yeah. The whole thing. So it's like the offensive line was technically in a worse shape then. That was the game that Drew Samia looked like he wanted to cry, and that was the <laughs> end of his career as the right guard of this team. It's brutal. Um, and what, what, like, what worked that game? Because was it was it I don't know what it was it was just like I mean Seattle's defense is terrible like sure like but Dallas's defense is not good either and I'm just I I, I struggle with that because you know we can talk about field vision we can talk about all these things with running backs and what makes Dalvin special versus what makes everybody else everybody else like what 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 is the right backup running back for this team because it feels like they kind of drafted that same prototype as Dalvin but they're just not getting any of that production out of him. But the fact that he only had one carry for six yards today, that that says something to me. That says, we don't trust you. We need Dalvin Cook out there. Like, and um, you're not going to, of course, get another Dalvin Cook. Like, right. the draft capital it would take to do that. Like, it's just, you know, they've got other needs. That's not what they're going to do if they just paid this guy a boatload of money over five years and guaranteed him, you know, 28 mil. Um, they're not going to do that. But – I say all that to say, well, then what's Alexander Madison doing here? So I was looking at his numbers. What the hell is Mike Boone doing here? Like, 
Where's that guy? <laughs> where's that guy? Not blocking on punts two weeks ago. Yeah, allegedly. Um, where's Amir Abdullah? So now it's still a small sample size, so keep that in mind. But over his career now for Alexander Madison, 171 carries at 4.6 yards per carry. And he's caught 19 passes out of 23 targets for 7.5 yards per reception, which is about, you know, what you expect from any running back. I mean, these are good numbers for a running back. And then some of it I get is him just, you know, pounding away at a defense at the end when Delvin Cook has already beaten them into a pulp. I understand. But as you mentioned, when they needed him to step in and perform, he did against Seattle. It is, I think, clear that he can't make something out of absolutely nothing as Delvin cook does, but can you get competent running play and then scheme him to be good? Isn't this Gary Kubiak and Rick Dennison, the two guys that make every running back good. I mean, isn't that them? So, okay. These two guys make Delvin cook legendary with the type of statistics he's put up, but you know, I mean, the next guy should be at least competent and good. And then, Hey, I don't know, throw the ball to Justin Jefferson. Like, is that, that's the, yeah. right? I mean, the first half of this game was like, did he do something wrong? Give him the football. Like it doesn't have to always be a play action, 40 yard shot play. It can be like a screen. Is that allowed to throw to Justin Jefferson who's one of the most dynamic players with the ball. You have to find a way to just not be like, uh, let's see. Uh, I've got a bunch of buttons here. I could push. Uh, I'm, I'm pushing the Delvin button. Oh, let's see. What do I do? Delvin. Delvin. <laughs> Delvin. It's just like, okay. But even he, even he has to be like, come on. I know. I know. And it's just like, think about the tight end stuff. Like on that first drive, or excuse me, the second one, what was he doing? Forcing the ball to the tight ends. And that was a great thing. It worked. And yes. then where'd they go? Right. Right. Where'd they go? Are they like leave the stadium? Like, That's a great I mean, point. It just, it just, you know, I don't get it. Like I saw, you know, it was working and then you stop and it's like, did you just like, oh shoot, I forgot. Like I tight ends. I forgot about them. Like come back here. Like, you know, I Rudolph for like a seven yard gain. And I went like, huh? It worked. Yeah. Yes. And like, I just, I was really wondering today what that was going to look like. I thought I'd be writing this week about Kyle Rudolph and Justin and um, Herb Smith and seeing, okay, now that Irv's back, is he actually taking over Kyle's role? Now, both of them did were fine in in the first quarter, and then they didn't do anything. It's right. not their fault, but, like, you know, I mean, they were forcing it to Dalvin Cook in the passing game, and by the time he got hurt, I was kind of thinking in my mind, like, damn, he's pretty good in the passing game. Like, he's becoming a factor in it, and then he gets, you know, wind knocked out of him, whatever comes out. Um, and, and he did finish five catches for 45 yards. I thought that was impressive. I mean, it's not Alvin Kamara. He's never going to be Alvin Kamara in the passing game, but he looked good. But to use Justin Jefferson so infrequently early on was criminal. And here, here, look at this. Like, Thielen was targeted 11 times. What is this telling you? This is what happens when Kirk Cousins gets locked on to one guy he trusts and is not going to go as frequently other places. You can't tell me it was that, you know, Justin Jefferson's drawing, you know, number one cornerback attention the entire time. Dallas doesn't have one. No, they don't. (laughs) They don't have a number one corner. And there was one play that, like, I can't remember. It was down the Viking sideline that got broken up or 
There was one for Jefferson, one of his five targets that I was like, okay, they blanketed. Blanket uh, five hit. targets is a total that should put you in in like local county jail. Like you, <laughs> like someone has to spend a night in jail if Justin Jefferson has five targets in a football game the rest of the way. That should get you arrested. The police should show up and say you are in contempt of football. You are going to jail. Like this is a major problem, honestly, because. It was- Mike Zimmer yeah. is in love with Gary Kubiak, and I get that, and everyone loves Gary. He's a wonderful person with an incredible career. But if your whole thing is not throwing to Justin Jefferson unless it's 40 yards down the field, I don't know what you're doing in 2020. And it was frustrating uh, in Chicago to watch them just, oh, let's wait till third and 11 to throw to Jefferson. <laughs> and then here again today. The That's what they did that's what I was saying. Like I found the play. The second quarter, they were third and nine from their own 26. And that was the shot down – wasn't down their sideline. I think it was down Dallas's. If I'm just, I have to watch the game back. But I just remember it specifically being like, is the coverage changing? Is it becoming kind of – and I honestly think that is some of what it is, that teams are finally figuring out his routes and the way that he runs them and all of that. That's cool and everything. But, like, when he runs inside out from the slot – for that touchdown, you still see, like, damn, that's why we drafted that guy. Unstoppable. He's unstoppable. It just killed that guy, and he killed the guy in the Willie Mays-style catch. Like, I just, you know, I I don't understand it. Like, I mean, because remember, like, early on how much, like, weeks, like, one and two, Kirk was forcing the ball the way of Thielen, and it's like, oh, boy, here we go. Like, is he just not going to, like, try to throw to anybody else? Is it going to become a problem? Like, is it a, a volume issue? Is it that he doesn't trust anybody else? And it's just that confidence type thing, I almost kind of, there's a twinge of that today for me. I don't know if it's real, but that's kind of what it felt like when Thielen has 11 targets and the next most targeted receiver is Justin freaking Jefferson with five. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria and that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job speakers in the U.S., Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is the best offer you're going to find anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is in full swing, and you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season, from game spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. 
Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. There needs to be a Randy ratio for Justin Jefferson. And let me tie this into your Delvin point. Uh, 2021 is the most important thing in the world for the Minnesota Vikings. And if you're going to force the ball to anybody, if you're going to game plan things to go to somebody, you already know Adam Thielen is great. You're trying to set up Justin Jefferson to be as experienced as he possibly can be. And Gary Kubiak was even talking about how, well, we want to you know, open things up for him more each week and have him understand the game plan, all these things. And then you go to him five times in the entire game. Like that's not what you need to be doing. It needs to be, if it's less than 10, Jake Browning spends night in jail and that's it. <laughs> Sean Mannion, is Nate Stanley still around? Hey, they've got a backup so. snapper who can go to jail for them. Like somebody's got to be punished for this when you have fewer than 10 throws to Justin <laughs> Jefferson. And you know what I think is you can operate kind of a pseudo running game by throwing short passes that they just like seem to refuse to want to throw a lot of times. And uh, it worked a little bit in some previous games and then they went away from it and then were required to hit on big plays against Chicago. And you just felt like if you do that again, it's, it's going to hurt you at some point. It didn't kill them today, but I thought it played a role in them getting behind in the game with just, you're not going to your top guy enough and that needs to change. Yeah. One other question I had, because I remember they did this with CD lamb, you know, they, they, they've been known to use a significant amount of pre-snap motion um, here and there uh, throughout the season, obviously definitely last year too, but like, why don't they run more jet sweeps? With Jeff- the receivers, Jefferson should be Jefferson. Jefferson like, should be. They ran that. They ran that with Diggs a lot. Like, why don't they run that with Jefferson? And Jefferson's better with the ball in his hands than Diggs by a mile, I think. Yeah, on those, he like has vision and the like for whatever reason, Stephon Diggs was not great on those jet sweeps. There's an easy flow chart that 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 they could easily do. Like, you're throwing the ball. Are you throwing it to Justin Jefferson? If no, throw it to Jefferson. Like that's that's <laughs> yes. your flow chart. This is like, is the answer no? Then still throw it to Jefferson. If the answer is yes, still throw it to Jefferson. Like Adam Thielen is is spectacular. Made more great it, catches today. Great game by him. I just it can't be five. It just can't be five. Like no, I mean, I mean it's got there's got to balance. They got to balance that out because I think even when you had Diggs and Thielen here, it didn't. You didn't have that big of a discrepancy. And granted, it is one game. I get it. But like this is a game that you could have won. Right. It really was. And the offense played – like, I I know that people are going to say, well, Kirk in the game-winning drive and 137 and one timeout. Yeah, I know. And Jefferson on second down is probably kicking himself in the butt yeah. tonight for yeah, not ca- – catch Like, you got to catch it. You run around – you've ran your, like, 90,000 routes out of the slot at LSU. Like, that is your bread and butter. That's how you became a first-round pick. Got to catch that. But, like, I can't blame him for that. He's He's probably furious at himself right now for that. So, it's not really – neither here either here nor there like whatever but like I think that they just have to I don't know what the fix is other than like drawing up more stuff for Justin Jefferson but I I mean I kind of say all of that to say that the offense didn't lose you this game they did it like the defense is back out on the field at the end of the game and you're just holding your breath if you're Mike Zimmer being like, please don't screw this up. Yeah. And then there's that big gain on fourth down, wasn't it? It was a 19-yard pass to Amari Cooper, I believe, um, you know, to, to get the fresh set of downs. And 
you know, special teams and, and all of that and the field position, like they just, we saw this coming. Like, and I, and I honestly, I will, I, I think you and I are harsher on this offense and Kirk Cousins and obviously some of the things that we've said in this podcast today, just about Dalvin Cook and the usage and what the hell they're doing and all this stuff. But I just, I don't, I don't blame the offense entirely for this loss. Like if I'm going to pinpoint it somewhere else, it's a defensive collapse yet again that leads them to be in this position. Right. You, yeah. you shouldn't I mean, put your offense in a position to have game-winning drives all the time. This is something that I also go back and forth when we're talking about the Jefferson ratio, not as catchy as Randy ratio, and how much they're giving it to Cook and running and all those things is the offense was great. I mean, overall. But you always seem to have to rely on hitting these huge pe- plays. And I know that's a Kubiak philosophy, but when you always have to hit those, that's where it gets tough. If someone stops them or if someone pressures you and gets after you or, or chases you down on the bootlegs. And, and we did see that at times during this game. And at the end where it was like, okay, you need the big play and they're ready for it now. So um, they, yeah, they have a, a very good offense. There's no question about it. But I think that um, tweaking the philosophy to, A, keep an eye on the future with Jefferson, but mm-hmm. also kind of understanding what you should be doing in 2020 to win football games, like the modern way of playing, is also a, a thing that just seems each week like is a push and pull um, with this team. So let me ask it used you. To, it used to be a really good wide receiver screen. Granted, that was two coordinators ago, <laughs> but they were like a really good it's team true. with wide receiver screens. They were actually the best in the NFL at this point two years ago. Just throwing that out there. That they, I remember specifically that Rams game and the Eagles game in 2018. They used screens with digs very effectively under John DeFilippo. Um, yep. So let me ask you just before we wrap this up. Um, are you – let me do a little Jim Moore here, like playoffs. Like are we yeah. good – like are you even talking about like playoffs? Can't even, <laughs> can't even beat the Cowboys. Like are you are you still thinking about that? I mean I don't think it's crazy to still think about it because the I, NFC. Yeah, I still, I still do. I just feel like, you know, the realist in me looks at this being like this is probably a, you know – are they going to beat the Panthers next week? Is Teddy going to be playing? I don't know. I think that that boils down to it. I mean, they just blew out the Lions. Lions are terrible. Um, you know, will they beat Jacksonville when Gardner Minshew inevitably comes back for week 13? I, I don't know. I, I think I think the path to the playoffs is possible, but there's just like – it's like a Rubik's Cube. There's so many different combinations that have mm-hmm. to happen in order for them to get there. And it kind of like when you, when you don't control your destiny, it almost feels like you're you're juggling so many things in the air, and it's like if one thing falls and it's not in your control, like it's you're you're done. Um, and I feel like they're going to be in. I, I just have this feeling they're going to be in a spot where they're like scoreboard watching there, week seventeen in Detroit, trying to figure out, hey, can we actually get into this thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and I honestly feel like they might be headed for a letdown at that point. But, I mean, sure. I think we can still talk playoffs at 4-6. and six. I mean, the Patriots lost today. They were a 4-5 and five team, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you look around the NFC right now, they're, the, I believe, two games back in the wild card behind Arizona. And Arizona's mm-hmm. got, got to figure out ways to win. And they've got a hard, 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 hard stretch of NFC West opponents towards the end of the year. Maybe that'll help the Vikings. But, again, it's like none of this you can tr- control. Right. Gaining two games on a team with how many to go now? We have six games to go and you got to yep. gain two. 
that's a, that it's always reminded me of the hockey thing where like well you'll talk about being in 11th place and you'll say oh well they're only 3 points out of you know, eighth place, but then this team plays that team and then you have to get hot and they have to get cold and they got to fall back. And, you know, the, when NFC West teams play each other, they're someone's going to win that you need to chase down. And so it's like, you need one team to collapse and I'm not sure Arizona is going to collapse because they're pretty decent. And they also have some, I think, easy teams on their uh, schedule as well. So um, what, what do you think they're, uh, let's just say ESPN, <clears throat> Uh, playoff percentage will be. Do you already know it? Like, no, I don't. Offhand. Okay, so take a guess. Today they. Were I don't supposed, have it. I just want to know what you think. If they is. would have won today, I believe it would have gone up to thirty-eight percent chance. I would assume now it probably drops back down to like mid twenties, probably like one in four. I think it's going to be lower. I'm, I think it's going to be like fifteen because you could very well lose to. I mean, I, I don't know how these odds work exactly. The FPI, position, yeah. But, but I mean, you could very well lose to Carolina. And then all of a sudden it's just, it's kind of over at that point. So I, I, I think that the path that they have to take and all the things that have to go wrong now, assuming that there are seven teams and not eight, I, I think it'll be like 14% or something. We'll see. We'll see yeah. No, I mean, it could be. And it's like, you know, there's no room for error here. Yeah. Like I don't, I know that this team wants to take it one at a time and that's fine if that's how they want to get through it. But it just feels like there's literally no way that this team can lose another game. Um, you know, at least of the easy ones. <laughs> I hate saying that they're all NFL. <laughs> yeah. They're teams. not easy anymore. Not easy. I mean, we like, could have, if they beat Dallas, we could call them the easy teams. They're, they're not. Easy yeah. Teams. It's like, it's like then if you, if you can't beat a Dallas team, that has, you know, gone through all the quarterback turmoil that it went through and just how bad they looked the first four weeks of the season. And then you have, like, if you can't beat them, you can't, like, take Carolina as a cakewalk or Jacksonville as a cakewalk. Um, you know, I mean, Jacksonville may be in a very obvious tanking situation, but, like, you still, I just don't think you can look at it like that. So the way that I kind of, you know, I just, I, I don't know. I just feel like, you're not going to be 10 and six. That's like the ceiling for this team right now would be 10 and six, right? Because you'd win, you'd have to win every single game from here right. on out. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. But is eight and eight good enough to get you in there? I'm going to say no. I don't, think, I don't think so. Like, I mean, if you would have asked me a couple of weeks ago, maybe, but now as I kind of look around at like those in the hunt teams, I mean, you can take Chicago out of the picture. They're five and five. They stink. So they'll be out of there. Um, Arizona's, decent and they're getting better um but there's still two games there's still two games ahead of the vikings right, right. so yeah. i mean the rams gotta watch out for them um who else am i forgetting san francisco like i mean there's just a lot the path is just after this loss the path is not that hard for any of those teams i mean if all you need to do is keep the to keep the vikings out of the playoffs is go nine and seven that's three wins for Arizona. That's three wins for the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, it's just, you're not asking about a very high bar for them to reach, play the most mediocre football you can Rams and Arizona, and you keep the Vikings out of the playoffs. And even with, even with Chicago, like they're still up on you. So, I mean, even with them, we've seen them, they beat Tom Brady one night. So like, they don't even, they could just be a 500 team down the stretch and still match you and still potentially beat you if you play the same way with a lot of mistakes. So yeah, I, I think that this, 
this was uh, a torpedo hitting the side of your playoff boat, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, like maybe a bunch of stuff went overboard early on, but you sort of patched it up and you're floating along in the ocean trying to reach playoff island. And you're like, guys, I think we're going to make it. And then a torpedo <laughs> you know, or something, an iceberg you hit. That was today. I think that that was that's a huge, huge blow. So, yeah. Anyway, well, this was fun. I'm glad yeah. we could do it. Me too. Let's do it more often. Or just the regular amount. Yeah, either way. Okay, thanks. (laughs)